0: No people at all There are no people in the future Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future Let me try my people, call.
1: everybody everybody where are all my people right here of course because it's monday yes it's monday may 2nd 2022 and here it is a special 11 a.m time of out to coop live this is raging chickens out to coop live and i'm kevin mahoney creator and founder of raging chicken on out to coop live we talk to progressives activists and troublemakers of all sorts right from our own backyard and from across the country You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can also check out our once or twice monthly The Wednesday Show with Cyril Micheleko. Yes, of course, you know Cyril. Cyril is a progressive columnist from the Bucks County Courier-Times, the Intelligencer, and the editor-in-chief for the Bucks County Beacon. Cyril and I get together to drill down into Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as 5 bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress and become a patron today. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. You can also check in on our Discord server. Info on that is in today's show notes. And for more PA Progressive Talk, you can tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern, his YouTube channel, Twitter, basically wherever you can get a stream, you're going to find Rick at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can also check out all his shows by heading over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Yes, make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at The Night Caucus. That's at The Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast and anchor Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. And attention, gamers. The Game Inn is a Quaker Town-based, black-family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64's latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops. And look, kids get a discount with A's on the report card. How can you beat that? Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at AtTheGameIn, that's with two N's. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at TheGameInPA at gmail.com. Special shout out goes, as usual, to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at songadayman, again with two N's. That's at songadayman on Twitter. And look, if you want to help us hear Raging Chicken and the domination of right wing money tipping the scales to the extreme on our school boards and on our communities, well, we've made that is easy. Drop a donation to the Raging Chicken Community Fund at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Help us support community organizing and school board candidates that our communities and our children deserve. Yes, indeed. Well, you're here today, um, and I'm super excited um, to welcome Garen McGarrian to the show. We'll be talking about his three-part series on the Bucks County Beacon and how defamation lawsuits can be used as weaponized tools of censorship. He digs into how a rash of defamation suits filed by prominent local Republicans underscores the need for stronger laws protecting the right to free speech in Pennsylvania. McGarrian is an experienced litigator and trial lawyer licensed in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the state of New Jersey. He has represented clients in both state and federal courts. He is AV peer reviewed, rated from Martindale, Hubble, reflecting achievement at the height of professional excellence and integrity. McGarrian received his law degree from Georgetown University Law Center in 1995, where he served as an associate editor for the American Civil Law Review. He earned his Bachelor's of Arts in Honors, of, an honors Philosophy from Villanova University in 1992, where he was awarded the university's valed, Valedictoria Medallion. How about that? McGarrian is a member of the National Employment Lawyers Association and Chester County Bar Association. Welcome to the show, Garen McGarrian.
0: Thank you for having me, Kevin. Looking forward to our chat. I am so thrilled
1: to have you on. I can't think of a better uh, better timing for your three-part series in the uh, Bucks County Beacon. I think it's uh, not only is it good kind of informative, but I think it's actually going to help provide the community with some of the tools it needs to help understand what the stakes are at this point. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Hey, so before we get into the specifics of your piece, um, can you talk a little about kind of what, you, what your generally focuses um, as a lawyer? What are some of your kind of background that brought you, um, you know, to be looking at these cases around defense of free speech and the abuse of defamation lawsuits? Sure. Uh,
0: so I'm, I'm an employment attorney, and I focus mostly on representing uh, individuals who are discriminated against or harassed at work. Um, I also handle consumer fraud claims on behalf of Consumers who've been ripped off. And I have a major soft spot for the underdog, um, and I always have. And I found my way to First Amendment work through literal underdogs, like dogs who are confined in breeding kennels throughout Pennsylvania under horrible conditions. So my wife, who's also an attorney, started volunteering at a local animal shelter um, that was taking in and trying to rehab some of these dogs, these survivors that were mostly used for breeding who had essentially been tortured for their entire breeding lives and who are now trying to, this, this shelter was trying to get them adopted, rehabbed and adopted. And through my wife's volunteering, I also became aware of some human victims from some of these kennels, uh, people who typically purchase a sick dog and end up with a massive veterinary bill. In other words, they were sold uh, a puppy that was promised to be healthy pedigree dog, but ended up with puppies with parvo, usually a fatal illness, um, that requires incredibly expensive 24-hour vet care if you have any hope of saving the puppy. Totally. Anyway, with um, my background in consumer fraud litigation, I accepted one of those cases on behalf of a ripped-off consumer. And um, as I was litigating that case, I went down like a dark rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> And uh, and a volunteer who'd been trying to curb some of the abuse at these mills stepped up and started providing me a ton of background information about how these kennels operate, how they use disreputable veterinarians to keep their operations going, etc. And this volunteer who stepped up was like a cypher. I mean, she knew everything about this this area. She, she was able to trudge through vast amounts of public records and find needles in haystacks. And in significant part, because of how well she was able to educate me and provide me with um, hard evidence and support of my client's claims, we were able to reach a, a settlement in that consumer fraud case, which was the first of its kind really. And, and through that litigation, and because she had earned both my respect and admiration, uh, we became friends, and she continued with her strong advocacy on behalf of these puppy mill dogs, these voiceless dogs, and these mm-hmm. being tortured in, in Lancaster County and in other parts of our state. And um, so to my shock at the time, um, in 2007 or 2008, this friend was named as a defendant in a defamation lawsuit. Um, and to make matters worse, the person who sued my friend was a high public official in Harrisburg, the highest, um, uh, the the person basically responsible for for these uh, for these dogs and kennels. Um, and uh, my friend had merely asked some rhetorical questions directed at this particular public figure about clearly a public issue, and because this public figure had been offended, she sued my client, accused of libel and civil conspiracy among other claims like that and uh, after I got over the shock of it um, I became obviously outraged uh, right. I, I knew my friend had gotten over, know her over the course of uh you know, the years that we'd worked together on that other consumer fraud case, I knew her to be a person of extremely high integrity. I knew that the First Amendment not only protected the kind of speech that she had engaged in, but also encouraged this exact kind of speech. Um, I knew that a healthy democracy depended on others doing the same thing that my friend had done. And yet, in the face of all that, she still had been sued. So um, I kept asking myself... You know, what country do these people on the other side think we live in? Right. Like you can't possibly be sued for criticizing a government official in Pennsylvania or in the United States. On top of that, I just could not believe that she, the way she had been portrayed in the complaint, my friend, which was also, by the way, leaked to the Philadelphia Inquirer at or about the time that it was filed. So I reviewed the defamatory statements and, and the allegedly defamatory statements, and they were the furthest thing I could imagine from meeting the standards of libel. So, you know, given my outrage, uh, given my close friendship with this person, I, I offered to represent her in her defense and figuring wrongly that the case would be dismissed on preliminary motions. I'm just like this is so obvious on Wait. its face. This should be tossed. So that case served as my introduction to defamation law. We battled that case for unbelievably eight years. Um, I took other similar cases in Pennsylvania and New Jersey at that time, and each of them were long, drawn-out, no-holds-barred lawsuits, some with multiple trips to the appellate courts. So my experiences as a lawyer defending these cases have obviously shaped my sincerely held opinions that both Pennsylvania and New Jersey need, desperately need, strong anti-slap legislation. Although there are, um, as I discussed in the article, there are vigorous defenses available to defendants in these suits, you still need resources and access to lawyers uh, to avail yourself of those defenses. And not everybody can be fortunate enough to have either, uh, you know, money that they could pour towards legal fees or access to a friend who's willing to give up part of their lives in order to represent. Um, And I hope that was something I was able to convey in the series of articles published by The Beacon.
1: 100 percent. And I think that, you know, what you set up there in the in the first article um, in the first of the three part series is precisely what a version of the story that you just told, just kind of in a more generalized fashion, right? On the one hand, we start with our assumptions about, you know, the protections of freedom of speech, which is, you know, basically kind of like religious dogma, like secular religious dogma in this Mm -hmm. country, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have certain, you know, assumptions about, you know, (laughs) our ability to kind of say, okay, we can speak, especially to public officials when we're telling the truth, right? And then to find out that... Well, you know, one of the things that you say in here as part of these, like, dirty little secrets about free speech litigation, right, is that, well, yeah, you know, really what it comes down to, the reality is is that you only have as much free speech um, as you have money to defend yourself in court. And, you know, I thought that, you know, that really gets to the crux of what the matter, you know, what's happening here, especially, I think, in a context where we see this, like, really significant Um, division of, you know, or kind of like inequality when it comes to wealth and the ability to kind of for the everyday person to actually speak up, right, and kind of contribute to their democracy through that First Amendment right is tamped down like significantly by the ability of, you know, really, really wealthy and powerful figures or organizations just to dump a lot of cash on something to put people in a state of fear and to make their speech go away. And that is certainly not the context of a democracy in my mind.
0: No, not at all. It, it effectively undermines the protections guaranteed by the First Amendment. Um, and, you know, I, I pointed to the Sarah Palin case as an yeah. example, uh, just to start off and get everybody on the same foot. Um, what kind of reputational damage do you think, Kevin, was done to Sarah Palin's reputation? By that one editorial in the New York Times um, that linked her to the the shootings, like, could it possibly have added any more damage, or at least two million dollars <laughs> worth of damage, to justify that case? I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it maybe
1: it got her. Uh, maybe it was the last thing that she needed in order to secure a TV contract for a future reality TV show. <laughs> well, that's what
0: that's what I my my mind goes to. Right, you you start thinking like there are obviously alternative reasons why somebody would spend. Two million dollars in order to supposedly vindicate their name in a defamation claim, when they themselves are, are a massive public figure and and have and have been a massive public figure for for decades, um, you, you know, especially when you see what's happening on the other side, like you know, mm-hmm. routinely Republicans have weaponized the use of, uh, you know, language like. Satanists and child molesters and pedophiles, and they, they rumors is the latest rumors, right? yeah. And they and they wave that, um, at broad swaths of the Democratic Party, uh, without any kind of repercussion. Uh, Hillary Clinton was the victim of a massive uh, slander campaign, uh, defamation libel campaign, and and she didn't bother to seek this kind of uh, retribution through the court system. Um, even though I think, I think in no, seeing the standards, she's certainly it, being accused of being a child molester or running the child molestation right. ring is certainly defamatory. Even if you're a, a, a high public figure like Clinton was, um, I think that would be per se defamatory. Well, l- um, let me ask
1: you this. Let me ask you. I don't want to get us too far off track. Yeah. here, But th- this is an interesting question about this, and this is exactly one of the things that was going through my mind as I was reading your piece. In that case with Hillary Clinton, or all these claims that are being thrown out about you know, people being groomers and all this, some of these people, like Hillary Clinton, are not exactly your, your poor everyday person, right, that's just mm-hmm. this living down the street. They are certainly in a position where they could file these suits, um, if need be, with probably a lot more justification or merit to their cases. But you know are you do you find that most of these suits that you're kind of that you're seeing are coming more from the republican side or from that kind of like i don't want to just say republican but from more of the concerned conservative kind of like media sphere public sphere political sphere than you do from the you know from the more democratic leaning sphere no
0: I, I, I from my experience i see it from from uh people who are very thin skinned and who are in the public sphere um I think it's mo- – and who have access to lawyers and money. So it's not so much the political affiliation of folks. It's more their own kind of narcissism, their own personality. And plus well, – Coupled that, with lots of money. Exactly. That coupled with either a connection to lawyers who are willing to take a shot on their friends' claims or lots and lots of money um, in order to be able to fund you know, litigation like this without having to worry about it. Gotcha. So it it's it sort of um, it, it's beyond uh, party affiliation. Yeah, because
1: it seems like I mean, I could see this getting played out with anybody who's you know, I, I'm looking at, you know, in the news right now, we have folks like, you know, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all these people that are making all these, you know, claims about stuff. And I could see like, look, if they wanted to, they could bury virtually anybody right under a mountain of litigation. And they have, you know, you know, un, you know they have funds that they could are not going to be inexhaustible right right so it's we, absolutely frightening
0: i mean it, it the the scales of justice are so uneven when you when you count money into the equation and especially in this arena it it's dangerous it's it, it can erode our democracy if if one segment of the population that has access to lawyers and money can effectively silence all of the others who don't it's
1: crazy. So and to underscore this point. Now, one of the things that you say in here before I want to I really want to spend some time looking at the two, the, uh, the three lawsuits by the two people um, in Bucks County that you are that, in our kind of area that are looking at. But before we get there, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that you also say is that defamation lawsuits, right, to just underscore this point, are not easy lawsuits to win because right. of the kind of vigorous protections that we have for freedom of speech right. uh, and yet they get filed for these other purposes you say can you talk a little about that difficulty or what the merits would have to be in order to prove a defamation lawsuit
0: yeah uh, so this is going to be like a 10,000 foot overview yes of course but um <laughs> so there's there's vigorous protections offered under the first amendment um and there is a seminal case called new york times v sullivan which is a better case for a movie, in my opinion, than the, the Larry Flint one, uh, People versus Hustler. I think everybody saw that and was like, okay, I have the right to be a troll. Um, but I think the New York Times Sullivan case is much more compelling. Um, there you have uh, the New York Times publish a paid advertisement by a civil rights organization criticizing uh, the response of a Southern community to demonstrations led by Dr. King and the plaintiff who was a city commissioner in charge of the police department, in Alabama claimed that that advertisement in the New York times libeled him. And so they, they brought a suit and it went all the way, they, they wanted the trial court, got a big judgment against the New York times. And then the case went all the way up to the Supreme court. And the Supreme Court in that case unanimously said that the First Amendment can trump libel laws. Okay? Mm -hmm. Essentially, when you're talking about a public figure uh, and on matters of public issues like this, like obviously the civil rights claim, uh, the court said something like, you know, it considered the case to be... uh, against the background of profound national commitment to the principles that debate on public issues should be uninhibited, they should be robust, wide open, and that it may well include vehement, caustic, and sometimes unpleasantly sharp attacks on government and public officials. And they were willing, uh, in weighing the reputational damage of an individual in the public eye versus the... Uh, self-censorship that would incur had they allowed this libel verdict to stand, they all came down and said that we we are going to side with free speech, and so that case established an incredibly high bar for public officials to bring defamation suits or even uh, what have what have now come to be known as limited-purpose public figures. You know, for example. Um, you know, if you, if you enter into the fray on a public issue, you may, you may be a private person, but you've now inserted yourself on this, on this public issue. Therefore you become a limited purpose public figure and the same standards apply to you. So what, what are those standards? The standard is, uh, basically the, it's, it's called actual malice. So if you are uh, bringing a defamation lawsuit, you have to show that the plaintiff, that the uh, defendant who published these allegedly defamatory statements against you did so with actual malice. And now it's not, it, this isn't something like uh, t- like we think of typically with malice, like a malice heart. You know, you, you came to it with like an evil intention. Right, right, right. Malice in the First Amendment context means that 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 the defamatory statement was published with knowledge that it was false or with reckless disregard of whether it was false and reckless disregard is not simply like, you, you know, you, you forgot to dot, dot your eyes and cross it's your It's like teams. you just did not care. Right. But you, yeah. you, you no, it's actually like you published it with serious doubts as uh, to whether it yeah. was true or false. So what we're talking about here is, is almost like asking the jury to go into the person's head and say that this person knew at the time they were publishing this uh, falsehood that it was false. And that's why Pennsylvania courts and the Supreme Court have considered this standard almost impossible to meet when you're dealing with a with a uh, public figure. So and this would include right, if I'm, not, if I'm
1: not mistaken, this would also include like, look, if I say something that's truthful, right, about you and you happen to run a company Mm-hmm. Right. And I, that my statement is truthful. Let, let's say that I don't know, like, say that you actually were funneling money to some kind of like, you know, like slave exchange. Who knows? Right. I mean, whatever it might be. And right. I have the documents to prove that that's going on. And that's truthful. And that hurts your business. That doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. And and truth is an absolute defense in defamation cases, which means that if you can prove the truth of it, you don't even have to get into uh, any of the other factors. It's true. You're, you're absolutely immune. And there's many absolute defenses. For example, if you appear uh, before a public body that's holding an official hearing and you testify before that body, your testimony is absolutely privileged. If you, um, file allegations in court that turn out to be false because you filed them in court and you sought, uh, relief from the court, the public institution those allegations you put in a complaint are absolutely privileged. Now in Pennsylvania, if you publish statements in court and then leak them to the media uh, and, and those, those statements happen to be false, you can be sued for those false statements for that publication to the media. So, um, so we have, uh, you know, very, like, like you said, we have incredibly strong fundamental protections of, of, uh, for speech. However, those strong protections, in my opinion, are meaningless if you don't have the means to actually assert those defenses in court. And that's what happens a lot of times when people get these lawsuits. Um, they almost have to capitulate because, you know, a lawyer is going to ask, ask you for a $25,000 retainer. Uh, and that's not for the entire length of the case. That's for the first couple of months.
1: Yeah, there's just people I mean most people don't even have, you know, $25,000 like in, you know, funds right. available to them. I mean, it's not right. like what are they going to do? Sell their house in order to to put down a retainer?
0: So the average person faced with that um, faced with that impossible choice is going to capitulate. So there goes your first amendment, right?
1: So let's let's put the let's concretize some of this stuff then. So Mm -hmm. we have we have your your second part of this piece, um, the second part of this series, um, you're focusing in on two lawsuits that were um, filed by Jim Worthington um, from from Newtown um, and another one that is uh, filed by Clarice Schilling. I always forget her last name. I think, yeah, I think I'm purposely trying to purge her name from my brain. I'm sorry, but I, like literally, I have this, I have this ongoing problem. But yeah, uh, Clarice Schillinger um, against PA Spotlight. Mm-hmm. So, can you walk us through these three lawsuits? Um, and I know that you've got a hard out, um, so I want to make sure we have time to kind of get into. It. So, walk us through these uh, three lawsuits um, to say what is happening in these lawsuits and why you would see these as examples of the abusive defamation suits that you see going up.
0: Yeah, so um, I just want to make it clear, like uh, these lawsuits are in very early stages, and I'm not necessarily ready to. to Fair point. Yeah, okay. to say that all of them are um, slap suits because you know, frankly, uh, that's going to be litigated, and yep. and I was comforted to see that the defendants in the case are very ably represented, particularly Ashley E. House, um, who has. Two of the most um, prominent plaintiffs' personal injury firms in Philadelphia representing her, and those firms are packed with like really, really strong lawyers. Um, and so that's it, good news for. Everyone. That's that's a good news on on the on her part, but also good news insofar as if we want to get any kind of reform. Uh, anti-slap legislation passed, those two firms, to the extent that they're now aware of how defamation lawsuits can be abused, will be strong allies in helping us push for anti-slap legislation. Um, I'm hoping. I mean, that's that's me being sure. a little wishful. Um, but so anyway, so the three cases, so uh, Worthington filed two cases um, and they're difficult... Uh, They're difficult to summarize quickly, but my sense of them is that he is trying to draw a very nuanced distinction between what is true and what he considers defamatory. And the distinction is that it it, it was true that he organized three busloads of people to go down uh, to Washington, D.C. on January 6th to participate in the March on the Capitol. And this was
1: the People for Trump organization, right? Right. That funded these buses, correct? He funded it.
0: He, um, you know, he he promoted it. Um, And and so I think the distinction he's trying to draw is that they went down there to peacefully protest and any implication that anybody makes that he was organizing uh, this uh, to be an, to be a, a criminal act uh, against, you know, the, the U.S. Capitol. In other words, invading the U.S. Capitol. That part he considers defamatory. Now, in my head, I'm like thinking of Venn diagrams mm-hmm. and asking myself, okay, like where is the Venn diagram that um, of people who would be offended if uh, if he had organized three busloads of people to actually go raid the Capitol versus not or, or I'm sorry, who would who would be offended at one or but not the other. You know, like to right. me, like we're so polarized as a society, like he's either being hailed as a hero, uh, on one side for taking three busloads down, or or regarded as kind of a villain for organizing it. Like I don't see any any human being or any American who looks at the Worthington situation and says, I would be okay with him sending three busloads of people down to DC, but You know, not okay with him, uh, with any of those uh, people on the bus invading the Capitol. I think you're either in for all or or in for none i mean maybe i don't know how do you see it do you do you disagree or no
1: no i mean i'm 100 percent. i mean i I agree with that and i I also think that you know if you look at the language at least the language that i've seen that was that was put forward by um you know first um by the guy who was filed the um was it gregory bullock who filed Mm -hmm. a petition on move on basically drawing attention to Worthington um, renting these buses and the the suit that goes against Ashley Ahas, right? The kind of perspective, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, Democratic nominee, we'll find out very soon, um, to run against uh, Fitzpatrick. Mm -hmm. Um, In both of those cases, right, what they're saying, like, look, he, Funded these buses to take them down to what would eventually become this insurrection. Right. right They're not even saying that. Oh no, Jim Worthington, like, like, organized the shock troops to go in. And t-. they're not saying that. Right. They're saying that these buses were went down for that rally. And let's be clear, that rally was saying was for like started on the premise that there was a big lie that the election was stolen, that Joe Biden was not a legitimate president. Unless it might be. Tr- it, it, it doesn't matter if it's true. Well. The, let me put it this way. It seems to me is that the issue that both of them have took place is that, no, you were part of this organization for this rally, mm-hmm. which eventually became this thing. They're not even making the claims that it's like, no, Jim Worthington was the, you know, was the mastermind behind the coup. No, they're not even saying that. And yet he wants to split hairs around, well, saying that, well, because of this word about would become the insurrection, you're claiming that I was somehow purposely knowingfully sending them there and it's that wasn't even the point to begin with
0: exactly and eventually at some point uh the defendants in the case are going to raise the another good defense which is that the gist of the defamatory piece has to be worse than the truth in other words like for the ordinary reader the gist of what they consider to be defamatory, like say there's a there's an actual falsehood in the in whatever uh, the the defendant said against Washington. There's an act like they're going to have to prove that it was false, and they're going to have to prove that whatever was false was actually the sting of it was worse than the truth. And that's what I was trying to get at with my yes. Venn diagram thing, which is like I don't see who like you're either a, a hero to, to half of the population or a villain. Like there's no there's nobody in the middle. In this instance, and because I think like, they're hmm, kind yeah. of on
1: the fence about this one.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. And so I, I don't you know, that that's another very tough hurdle for for Worthington to overcome um, in his case. But again, as we've seen already, uh, the the case against Move On and Bullock has survived that initial motion to dismiss. Um, they, they're going to have other opportunities to dismiss the case, but it probably now heads into very expensive discovery, like Bulla Bulla is in it for the long haul. let's move on. Um, And, you know, every time that happens, there's another reason to capitulate. Right. So, yeah. And you
1: say like we have a question from Emily. Emily says, isn't Worthington just doing this to distract Ahaz from Ahaz's campaign? Can't believe he expects to win. But one of the points that you make, right, is the goal is not necessarily to win. Right. You could
0: you could lose and still win and you can win and still lose. Like I've had clients prevail after seven year battles and then and then get a get a published superior court opinion, published Supreme Court opinion uh, in their favor. And still at the end of the day, you're left with empty pockets Um, or you've now been so distracted from your business or what you were trying to do before that you're no you no longer want to do it. Even as I was representing uh, my advocate clients. I would say to them, don't post. And it would break my heart. It would break my heart, but I wanted, I didn't want any more to, uh, I I didn't want to like deal with any more pleadings that mischaracterize their words, because that's what it is. Like the lawyers on the other side are clever. They will take statements and make them look as nefarious as possible in order to get the court to allow the claims to survive. In this case, in Worthington's cases, the the, the claims are that he was accused of violating federal and state laws. You know, like I, I don't to me as an ordinary reader of the statements, I don't see that in there. No. <laughs> but, you know, but the way they're characterized the complaints, you would think yeah. that um, actually E. Uh, I- issued like some, you know, manifesto detailing all the ways Worthington committed crimes. That's not what she did. Uh, but that's that's the way the complaint reads, right. because you know Worthington's got a clever lawyer who is you know, who is taking the essence of what Ashley eha says and casting it in the worst possible light in order to survive dispositive motions. Um,
1: well, and doesn't this also? I mean, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's, this is not always the case in every situation, but it also seems to me to someone like someone like Jim Worthington, who is a you know a self-proclaimed kind of you know well-known you know businessman, right. funder, a politician. He doesn't hide any of that stuff, right? Nope. No, he's but a this, public figure
0: in other words. Right, right,
1: right. I mean, so it's not like you know he's coming out of obscurity and somebody's targeting some random business owner, right? I mean, no. you know, he's very public figure. You know, no. he's he celebrates the fact that he has you know Brian Fitzpatrick on speed dial, you know, things like this. So um, if he's if he's um, um in some cases, and this is kind of, I think, the case or, or the point you were making about Sarah Perlin is that even by leaking this, Well, I don't want to say leaking I don't know if you leaked this or not. But by having this case out there, by filing the case itself in this kind of polarized climate, that could not necessarily, but that could also help bolster claims of being an important person. <laughs> right? Exactly. Of being a powerful power broker within, in this case, Republican Party.
0: You don't under, You don't know what the other side's motives are. Um, but, you know, and, and because of that, you can, you can lose and win. Right.
1: So let's, let's take a, let's take a couple of minutes, talk about the, um, the, uh, Clarice Schillinger case against PA Spotlight. Um, talk us through a little bit what's happening in that case. Um, and, um, if there's kind of significant differences there are the points that you're pulling out in that one.
0: Yeah. And that one, um, again, this, this was, it really took close reading for me, understand where what was happening here but um i guess she took offense that her keeping kids in school pack was labeled a dark money organization um and again for me dark money is one of those terms that's tossed around so much like i had a different idea of what dark money was than the way she defines it in the company to me dark money is basically like if you're being funded by uh, a billionaire, or a millionaire, <laughs> you know, like somebody who, who doesn't necessarily want themselves um, super well known, uh, so they hide it behind a, a group, call that group a different thing. Uh, yes, you can still track the money in some instances back to the right. billionaire who's making the donations, but it's not on the foreground. Like you know, on the signs, it won't say this candidate is endorsed by billionaire Dick Uline. It'll say this candidate's endorsed by the back-to-school PA pack, or you know something yep. like that. Um, so, uh, to me, that—that's. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe I would uh, maybe say that's I,
1: kind of an everyday. That's the way I think most people think about dark money, right? Right, and it seems like she wants to. In this case, she wants to say no. Dark money means only if you cannot absolutely trace it, (laughs) right? If there's there's no way of finding out at all, she's taken
0: this incredibly narrow definition of dark money and and uh, has made a defamation case out of it. Um, And the other part of her case is that I guess she was offended that she was linked to QAnon conspiracy theorists. But if your organization is actually promoting the candidacy of, you know, I guess three, at least three QAnon sympathetic candidates. QAnon, yeah, these are people who are trying to get on school boards and they're retweeting QAnon right. conspiracy theories. Like, I think I think that's fair criticism. Like, you've injected well, we yourself into the public sphere. Uh, you're, you're claiming that you're about uh, kids' health and all that. I think it's fair criticism if somebody says that, uh, you are you are promoting QAnon conspiracy theorists for office.
1: No, and here, this is what you say in the article, right? Keeping sk- Kids in School Pack cannot deny that it endorsed several QAnon affiliated and QAnon sympathetic candidates. Right. Specifically, they uh, Keeping Kids in School Pack endorsed Ricky Norley Chayton in my school district, the Penridge School Board, Ada Nestor of the Westchester Area School District, and Cora Landis for the Palisades School District, each of whom have, at the very least, shared QAnon content through their social media accounts. This is something that's publicly available, has been published, right? I mean, right. Cyril Micheleko, a matter of fact, published a bunch of stuff in the beacon so this mm-hmm. is not i mean how do you walk away from something like that other than saying oh well we just didn't consider it we had no idea i mean it's it's and great. again again
0: it's like really really nuanced reading that the average reader of these posts is not gonna do you know like they the her her attorneys are really parsing things uh, to, to, to make uh, these words seem as bad as possible. But the average reader doesn't do it that way. And that at the end of the day, the court is going to have to look at it from the from the perspective of an average reader, not from the perspective of Schillinger and her lawyer trying to make it seem as bad as possible.
1: So it's pretty And in that case, you know, this was to your point. I mean, PA Spotlight published this, right? They published an article on their website. Um and that kind of basically pointed to these funding mechanisms, what was kind of happening behind Cor uh, um see, yeah, I almost say Coralandis is they, but Clarice Schillinger's um kind of candidacy <laughs> and this keeping kids at school pack. And this lawsuit is filed, and what happens? Well, PA Spotlight pulls down the article. Mm. Right? And so the article is now gone, <laughs> right? So we see this actually working its effect before it ever kind of gets litigated in court.
0: It's incredibly effective. I mean, if PA Spotlight had an insurer um, and the insurer appointed defense counsel, the first thing defense counsel would say, um, stop the damage, take it, take down the post, because that way we can at least say it was only up for two months. uh, Hardly anybody read it. And that gives us another way out. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is the unfortunate side effect. It's pretty crazy. Well, listen, I know you
1: got a hard out, but I want to get the, the last last couple of minutes for you to talk a little bit I'll say, OK, w- what's our what's our way out of this? And you make a case in here that what we really need is we need um, kind of uh, really serious legislative reform when it comes to, um, you know, against slap suits. Can you talk us a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so is needed.
0: This has been. This is a problem that's been solved by other states. Uh, specifically, California solved it. New York has solved it. Thirty other states are have laws similar to California's that that solve it. California passed their law about twenty years ago, um, and it, it it has like three major components. Uh, number one is make these defamation cases as hard to file uh, as they are to win. Like I I think of a defamation case as like you're, you you file it, you now you're on the highway to hell right and and california gives you like this exit off the highway really really early before you're stuck on there um if you get hit with a slap suit or a defamation suit that you consider as a slap you take it to a lawyer the lawyer looks at it and says yeah i agree with you this is a slap you can file a motion within the first 60 days that gets heard within 30 days usually And the judge decides whether or not that law that lawsuit is a slap, and really takes a hard look at it based on specific criteria that um, California that that the statute gives them. And then uh, if the case gets tossed, you prevail early; you're not out a whole lot of money. Um, And so that's that's essential. So give judges, trial judges. an opportunity to dismiss these cases very, very early. That's number one. Number two is equalize access to justice by taking money out of the equation. And the way you do that is the way it's been done in consumer fraud litigation and civil rights litigation and employment litigation where you're at, where you're dealing with discrimination claims and harassment claims. You shift the attorney fee to the losing party. So that creates a strong incentive for lawyers like me to get involved um, on behalf of uh, victims of slapsuits, uh, if if you get sued, I will represent you for free, knowing that if we prevail on our slap motion, then I'm going to get my fees paid, and you're going you to be okay. Um, now, right now in Pennsylvania, there is li- zero incentive other than you know for somebody being able to pay you for a lawyer to get involved. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's it, if you don't happen to have a friend who. Practices defamation law, you might be out of luck, um, and and what what this also does is fee shifting also uh, limits the other side's ability to publicize and intimidate everybody around them. Um, So in these instances, like you often have the person suing also publicizing their lawsuit. And and what this does is has a chilling effect on everybody. But if you can reverse that chilling effect by publicizing your victories against those slap lawsuits, a lot of times, uh, you know, people get sued for posting bad Yelp reviews in California. They sue, they win their fees. And now all of a sudden like that, that institution that sued them or the business that sued them looks even worse. Um, so, And the and final point is like provide a right of immediate appeal from denials of that first motion, that, that first motion that gets you off the highway to hell. If you lose that motion, you should get to file an immediate appeal to the Superior Court so uh, you have a, ch- a better chance of impartial judges, judges who are more familiar uh, probably with defamation claims, taking a hard look um, at, at the claims and deciding whether or not they're slaps. So I really believe that these are reforms that would benefit everybody. I mean, if, if we want to have a democratic society, we need the First Amendment. There's a reason why it's the First Amendment. Um, free speech is important. It's critical. It's critical to a well-functioning, well-oiled democracy. And so uh, these are readily available reforms. They've been tested out in other states. They work beautifully. Um there's all kinds of laws and precedent around them. Uh, let's do it here in Pennsylvania. There's no reason why we should be uh, why we should be uh, abused like this by by slapsuits. <laughs> Well, you know, what's the the last
1: step or one of the many steps we need to take in defense of our democracy? Well, listen, I know you got to get out of here. Garen McGarrian, I really appreciate your time today. Um, You've got to check out his pieces over in the Bucks County Beacon. Uh, The first one in the series called Defamation Lawsuits can be weaponized tools of censorship. Check out more information about his law practice at www.garenmlaw.com. That's garenmlaw.com. Thank you once again for joining us today, and I appreciate so much uh, the work that you're doing thanks kevin all right we'll take it easy um so everybody uh we are going to get out of here uh, it is monday yes it is our special um, monday early morning session um thank you for tuning in thanks for listening thanks for everybody in the chat um appreciate everybody showing up make sure you get the word out about this piece share it where you can see ya